This is the 442 Insider Euro 2012 Special, brought to you in association with Betfair, where better betters bet. Welcome to the last of our Euro 2012-442 Insider Special in conjunction with our friends at Betfair, where better betters bet. Joining me is uh, online editor Kevin Ayres. Hello. And editor Aidan Ormond. Bright and breezy from another morning at Star Casino. What's the tell? How was it this morning? It was cranking. 1,200 or so Italian fans and about 10 German fans. (laughs) It was great. Fantastic morning. Ten German bombers. No, ten German fans. Um, All right, we're going to get to the semi-final this morning's action uh, in a little while. Let's talk about the quarter-finals first. We'll uh, we'll just review the knockout stages. Then we'll uh, we'll preview the final. Then we might have time if we have time for a little bit of a local chat. See what's been going on in the uh, build-up to the new A-League season. But anyway, let's kick off quarter-finals. First quarter-final went predictably Portugal's way. Uh, a 1-0 win, courtesy of a Cristiano Ronaldo header. Um, Czech Republic, to be fair, were never in it, were they? No. 1-0. They were lucky to get nil, to be honest. <laughs> they were lucky to be there in the yeah. first place, to be yeah. honest. I mean, uh, they topped the group by default. And uh, against Portugal, there was just man and boys. Uh, Ronaldo, again, proving that he was pretty much a one-man team. Jacko's uh, favourite player, Ronaldo. Apart from the... Fantastic swivel movement into space and pinpoint cross from Moutinho mm. that set up the header. Mm. Yes, yes. Mm. Well, there was, there was that, but apart from I mean, that, did he give Moutinho due credit? No, Moutinho the... sat on the floor. Ronaldo runs straight past him to find the TV camera to give it the it's, bang in his chest. It's, it's like, all about Ronaldo. That's, oh, you just you're missing the up. point. No, I know. But it winds <laughs> me up. <laughs> He's a fantastic player, but. Would just be so much better in Mars if he just even pretended that there was a team around him. It's funny actually because there's been such a, a complete spectrum of celebration, post goal celebrations from uh, Balotelli's original minimalist nothing uh, to Ronaldo's self indulgent uh, completely, it's all about me, mm. thanks everybody. So I had to laugh. It's just the whole, he knows exactly where every TV camera is. <laughs> you can see him pausing at free kicks and then, to actually like check himself on the team, on the cat big screen camera and, and just like, you know, after like delayed reaction after something has happened, he'll then like become all emotive when the ball's, when there's the lull in play because he knows that the camera will be on him. Yeah. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had to have a, a good chuckle at uh, Brescia's uh, tweet this morning about claiming that Balotelli stole his statue uh, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> celebration this morning. But I mean, uh, Ronaldo, he's a, he's a sponsor's dream because he does just grab the camera. He dra- oh, yeah. grabs the uh, cameras, the photographers, the attention and the goals. Mm. You know, Nike must absolutely adore him. Although Messi's a better player. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, all right, the second quarter final, Germany, um, as predicted, took care of Greece, but it wasn't. Uh, it certainly wasn't one-way traffic. I mean, there was a period in this where the Greece really sort of had the Germans wobbling a bit. Philip Lahm opened the scoring just for half time, and you sort of thought, well, that's it, it's gone, that's the game plan gone. But Greece came out in the first sort of 15 minutes of the second half and really had a go at them and, and got an equaliser. Um, but just couldn't hold on to it long enough. Kadira scored a cracking goal, and then uh, and then the floodgates opened a little mm. bit in the last half an hour before uh, Salpangidis got a 
consolation right to death. Um, Aido, what did you make of this game? Well, I just, I've got to say, I love indoor flares, and at the end, more, it's brilliant to have indoor flares for this game. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think the Italians would have looked at this game and said, yeah, this is where we can exploit the Germans down the centre of the, the defence. I think that, that goal from Samaras was a perfect example of how they can do it. Um, but yeah, Greece, fair play to them. I mean, they would have had one of those real rev up half time speeches from the manager. And they came out and they really, they really, they really looked like they were up for it. I mean, they never, they it, never it, were it, seriously in this one, were they? It was 15 minutes. I mean, it was literally 15 minutes yeah. of fame from beginning to end. But uh, Greece, sorry, Germany uh, were still dominant, I felt. It didn't ever feel in doubt, the result. Even when they equalised, it never felt like the Greece were actually going to take the game itself. Uh, Germany looked very confident and, you know, the three-goal blast in uh, 16 minutes or something. Yeah. And in uh, some ways it was just... actually, for Italy, I mean, I think it, it's great for them to have Germany playing such an easy game going into that one because I think Germany never really were tested. And in this quarterfinal, I mean, apart from that 15 minutes, as you say, Kev, yeah. never really were. Never was seriously in doubt, was it? Well, I think today, I think, well, we, we, you know, let's not preempt it, but I think today was the first time that Germany had gone behind in a Euro 2012 game, mm. including qualifying. Yeah. They're never be, they were never behind before. Yeah. And uh, you could see that they sort of didn't really know what to do with it, which was surprising. Uh, Spain um, took care of a, of a lacklustre and very, very disappointing France in the, uh, in the third quarter final, courtesy of two goals from Alonso. Uh, one a header, one a penalty. Um, you know, there's been a fair bit of talk about Spain. Are they boring? Are they the blueprint that everybody should be following? Sort of seems now that there's this polarisation of opinion that, you know, you either love them or you hate them. Lads, which side of the fence are you on? Um, I, I still like them, but I'm not in favour at all of this 4-6-0 uh, formation that the the persisting with more frequently now. I don't like it. it it's And it's not... It's giving them results, but it's not necessarily playing to the strengths. I don't think. Uh, I think you know they've still got more. They they could be. They're battering it around. They're holding it, holding it, holding it in midfield, yeah. without penetrating at the uh, the the final third. And that's because they don't have a final third. But isn't the argument that they don't need to? Yeah, it... that's why they win so many games one nil. Because if the other team goes out just to try and stop them playing and sets their whole game plan around nullifying Spain and they go 1-0 down and therefore have failed in nullifying them, Spain don't need a second goal. I would hate for that to be the future of football. Because, uh, I mean, it, it goes back to the, the Simpsons, you know. Uh, but you also, you know, I, I think, you know, that you have to look at, and, it, and I, I think it's not just a football thing. Look at this, you, you know, and this is where I think... There's a danger in a country like Australia or a country like the UK, we'll talk about England in a minute, like lauding the Spanish system, because it requires um, sort of personality traits that I don't believe English and Australian have, which is patience, which is, you know, look, look at the other sports. Yeah, but Spain still lord bullfighting. What do you do with bullfighting? You have a thing there and you tease it. Uh, you tease it and you let it come and you tease it and you tease it and then you hit a little and then you tease it again but, but you know, never... it's, it's in their nature and, and for them the contest is about control it's not about scoring goals it's about winning but yeah. winning through controlling the game to such an extent 
that the opposition can't hurt you. But I think uh, I agree that in itself that is a laudable uh, quality and it's a laudable uh, way to go about the game. However, I think the problem now is they're becoming caricatures of themselves. They're doing like Arsenal were doing, uh, famously doing. They're spending more time controlling it and not bothering to score. They're forgetting to score. You say that, but only Italy have had more shots on target in the Euros. Well, that, that silenced me, hasn't it? Well, that's it. You know, so, you know, they've had more possession than anyone else. No surprise. They've attempted and completed more passes than anyone else. No surprise. But they've also had 49 shots on target, on target. Um, and the only team that's had more is Italy. But 49 shots on target without score? With scoring how many? Have you... Kev, you say, you say that, is this the future of Spanish football? You've got to remember that David Villa will come back at yeah, some point. Yeah, of course. And they will have more of a cutting edge. And I think, I think it says a lot about Torres as well, that um, in this system, this is, this is, they're playing this system. I think when Villa comes back, and he is an absolute talisman for them, when he comes back, I think you're going to see a far more expansive game. Yeah, that's probably They're playing true. to what they've got, which is a Villa-less Spanish national team, and he's so important to them. Yeah. So I, I think you've got to look at it as, as tournament to tournament. I think right now they're playing so, a vealist version, uh, bullfighter style. I, I recognise you know. that it, it creates problems for the opposition, but I still don't think it's. Um, I, I, I think they can be, they could be more expansive and better. Uh, I'm not a fan of it, uh, but I'm not saying it's boring. I just yeah. think they could be. I mean, I, 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 like, I thought I really enjoyed it. I mean, let's let's cover the last. Uh, just uh, the, the, the other one for France, the thing for France is they just never turned up. Right. I mean, that was the, a shocking display by them. I mean, I said at the group stage that England and France were both destined to be go out the quarterfinals, but I honestly thought France would put up a better fight than that. They you were going through the motions. And, and you can sort of forgive Greece, Czech Republic, and even to an extent England going with a, with a safety first or a nullifying game plan because they don't have the flair players. Yeah. But France have got the players to yeah. compete and didn't chose not to. Yeah, really. I, I thought it was a terrible performance from them. It was a, a genuine French surrender. Uh, and I was really annoyed by it more than anything else. Mm, yeah. And it, it, the annoyance for that overtook any feelings I had about the Spanish game. OK, let's talk about uh, England-Italy. It was the result that we sort of expected or feared but certainly not the game we predicted. No. <laughs> from the, well, the, from the first 20, minute, yeah. it was uh, yeah. it was end to end. Yeah, it was a brilliant start, and we were all there at, uh, at this, the twenty four seven sports bar at uh, Star Casino. Mm. And uh, I think we'd sat here a week earlier and said this is going to be a very cagey affair, and it was the complete opposite. Um, but uh, clearly, the better team won in the end, and it's amazing to think that it got to penalties. With I thought Italy basically. Towards the end, battering them. Oh, I mean, and, I mean, you know, I mean, and people were on Twitter. They said, "Oh, you know, that put today's result puts the England sort of uh, yeah. result into context." No, it doesn't. Balotelli had what? How many chances against yeah. England? Eight or nine? Yeah. He, he had an off day. He had a good day mm. today. You know. But you know, having said that, England were slaughtered after that game, uh, and in the sec- on the basis of the second half and extra time performance, rightly so. Yeah. But in the first half, I thought they actually played well, uh, to be honest. Yeah, I, in 15 I, minutes they, they they played probably the best that they played in a tournament. Yeah, mm. I mean, it was un- I actually thought it was unrecognisable for. Uh, I mean, Jack, as, as the coach in the room, do you, do you think do you think Hodgson says, okay, look, let's try and get an early goal? Do you think that was part of the plan? Yeah, I think so. But also, I think that he's, you know, ultimately it's a 90-minute game, or in this case, 120-minute game, and England paid the price in the second half 
for a la- a, a, their tax- tactical inflexibility. In that, you know, Gerard and Parker were chasing three and four men around. So for a period, when they're fresh and at the start mm. of the game, it could work mm. because England were getting the extra men out wide and getting the fullbacks overlapping and they got some mm. joy. But Italy were, as long as they didn't score, Italy were like, well, they can't do this for the whole game. Mm. And as the, as, you know, mm. Gerard was dead on his feet from 70 minutes. Yeah. Gerard had cramp dead. after 77 Absolutely. minutes. Absolutely. I mean, why that's is that? That's ridiculous. Not, that's not because he's unfit. That's not no. because he's not match mm. fit. It's because he he running two around. men Senseless. were chasing three or four Italians mm. around and they knew. They were like, they can't do this forever. Mm. Yeah. You know? And it's also like, I, mean, I saw a really good piece in a, and I actually nicked it and used it with my boys on Wednesday night about bravery and the type of bravery that, that we celebrate. And I think there's a lot of parallels with Australia and England in this regard in that, you know, it was all about how bravely England defended and, you know, it's like brave John Terry and brave throwing himself. You have to defend, well, two points. You have to end up defending like that if you keep giving the ball back to the opposition. Yeah. You will make more blocks than anyone else. You will have, make more clearing headers. You will make more last-ditch tackles if you can't keep the ball. But also, all the while we celebrate that as being brave football, we're actually missing the point, which is real bravery on the football pitch is having the ball to your feet in tight areas, taking a penalty the way Andrea Pirlo takes penalties, always demanding the ball, always wanting the ball, and not just kicking it away. You know, that's, and you don't want to lose the sort of, you know, the, 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 the sort of spirit in that but if you can combine it, it with celebrating yeah. what real bravery as yeah. well in a football sense it's not just yeah. and, I, and I'd add to that also tactical bravery as well I mean I think the manager has a yeah, role to play in bravery as well positive you know, substitutions being positive yeah. yeah although to be fair England did make a positive double well, they, was double change of government yeah when they go on but it never really worked out but then it? but then they you know they were they wasted the opportunity to bring the best out of Andy Carroll because the way that they chose to find Andy Carroll was direct from Joe Hart, and mm. that's not going to hurt anyone. Mm. You know, the way to bring the best out of Joe, Andy Carroll is to get the ball wide and attack yeah. his But Walcott never got the ball. Yeah. Because I again, mean, the, the English were just so outnumbered in midfield that they couldn't get any any passing lines open to get the ball out wide. And and again, that's just just an extra layer of quality that, that they don't have. I think the most worrying thing for England, though, is the next generation coming through because there's a paucity of talent in the next generation, with maybe the exception of Walcott. What, and he is, what you mean England under-21s? No, no, I mean, uh, uh, the level below Gerard and Terry. Mm. Uh, I mean, when you're relying on Jordan Henderson, Ashley Young, people like that, mm. that's not... Yeah, the and there's no Michael Richards either. In also, you know, it's, it's also like that when you look at well, people go, oh, well, they all play in the Premier League. Yeah, they do, but they all play a particular type of role in the Premier League. Yeah. And it's generally, you know, yeah, use your English characteristics, then give it to the foreign lad who's going to play a bit. You know, let's <laughs> He'll be, be a player, player. Yeah. And then give it to Modric, give it to Mata, give yeah. it to Silva, give it to Aguero. And until we start bringing those, because the problem is then you get to a, a major tournament, and we've got 11 workman-like players on the pitch and no creativity, no mm. player that's going to open up the opposition mm. defence. And, and that's where it all falls apart. That's why we'll always be a quarter-final team at best. You know? And I think Australia have got that issue as well, is where are those players coming through that are going to yeah. unlock defences mm. when you get to the World Cup? Qualifying should be OK, because as long as you're difficult to mm. beat and you, you pick up your wins at home, but then when you get to mm. the tournament, that difference between getting out of the group and... 
going out in the first stage is can you unlock a defence can you produce that moment of magic you know yeah. I mean at the moment I think only Amini and probably Rogic have that kind of creative playmaker role that I see on the horizon and yeah. they're well off being regulars so. and also the, the challenge is when you do produce one are you brave enough to pick them? Mm. You know, look yeah. at England with Paul Scholes. Yeah. Look at look you at know, Australia look at with Paul Nicky Scholes' Carl. England career. You yeah. know, he's the one player that Xavi, Iniesta, all of those Spaniards pick out, and you ask them to pick one English player they they respect. They all say Scholes. Mm. Yet what happened when he got into the national team? Shoehorned into the left side of midfield because he wasn't a box to box midfielder, and that's what we have in our midfield. And yeah. you know, Joe Cole the same. You know, uh, it'd yeah, be interesting I mean, to see Joe Cole come back for Liverpool and play for a Brendan Rodgers team. I'd like you know, it'd be I'd very interesting because I always think Joe Cole was a vastly underrated player uh, mm. and deserved more opportunities than he got. He had a lot of problems with injuries, obviously, which yeah. uh, mm. didn't help. But and I think he's, he's going to play for Team GB, I believe. Is, I think he's really? been selected in that. Has he? Yeah, I read this morning with the Beckham. Uh, so the Beckham Giggs, story. Bellamy, and uh, maybe him could be. I mean, you know, obviously there was a lot of, uh, you know, as the predictable headlines. Oh, we've got to start again. Exactly the same stuff they were saying after the Germany defeat in 2010, and nothing's happened. Yeah. You know, so yeah. we'll see. But anyway, I mean, as I was going to say, that that meant that obviously the semi-finals were were Portugal, Spain, and Germany, Italy. And uh, for me, I, I thought it was like a really perfect quarter-final lineup in that you got teams that could all play. But very different styles, and you know, mm. and, and I just thought it was for me. This is what modern football is about. You know, they're all comfortable on the ball; they can all play. But you don't have to play like Spain. No, you know, you, there are many different ways to play football, and I thought the semi-finals re- reflected that. So I'm let, mm. let's take them in order: Portugal, Spain. Um, obviously, nil-nil after uh, extra time went to penalties. And uh, we saw the old uh, Penenka again come out from an yep. unlikely Sergio <laughs> Ramos. I mean, that's, it's been that sort of tournament, hasn't it? I mean, two Penenkas already. Are we going to get a third Penenka in the final? Pirlo to score the winner. Yeah, could be. Um, it's, it was a, a much tighter affair, the Portugal-Spain thing, than uh, I was expecting. And Portugal had the upper hand for large parts of it. Uh, I actually at one stage was convinced they were going to snatch it uh, from under Spain's noses um, but great clash of you know different mentalities and uh, Portugal tried the best to exploit the, the uh, Spanish weakness uh, along the flanks and made down the, a, in defence but uh, unable to in the end I think it's been a great tournament for Portugal though. The, aside from Ronaldo I think at times has been excellent but I think generally you take him out of the equation I think it's been a terrific tournament for them and I think they pushed Spain as far as they could yeah it's a sort of um, maturing well, interestingly in the uh, right passage. At the, the Castro index that they run which is, rates the players the, the top two players on their ranking are Ronaldo and Pepe oh really mm-hmm. yeah. yeah right and then there's uh, PK Alonso Iniesta Balotelli Marquisio Ramos Arbeloa and Busquets the top ranked bit of a theme there really isn't there yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, although I must say for me the player that I was saying that I didn't know a huge amount about probably been a bit pillowed for this but was um, Jordi Alba um, I've been mm. really impressed with him the full back I thought he's been excellent and uh, I didn't know too much about him mm. apparently he's looking been now being looked at by Barcelona he's so signed he's a, apparently oh, he has signed mm. signed yeah. overnight Mm. Yeah, uh, as far as I can remember. And yeah, and Portugal with I think one of the youngest managers in the tournament, Paulo Bento, only 42. I think they've, they've had a great tournament. I think they can build on this one. Um, 
<laughs> and on the post-match for a lot of it was about Ronaldo being the fifth penalty taker, mm. and obviously, as it turned out, not getting to take a penalty. I mean, I I, I think that's a, a red herring myself. You know, okay, Ronaldo takes the first penalty, scores, and then somebody who doesn't necessarily take penalties, doesn't have the mental fortitude, is left taking the fifth one, and he misses, and he gets pilloried, uh, or he doesn't get to take it. You know, it, it's it's a red herring. I would, I've always said the captain should take the fifth penalty. It's the crunch penalty. Uh, I'd love to do... I'd love, I, I, is it the crunch penalty, though? I'd love to do it's the analysis. The one, it's but, the one that will always take the stick if you miss it. I'd love to see the analysis, though, on how many penalty shootouts actually go to the fifth penalty takers. If it does go to fifth, I always think the, the, the pivotal penalty for me is generally penalty number three. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's the one that it, because if you've missed one, that's the one that you know you need to score to stay mm. in it. But yeah. also, it can be the one that if the opposition have missed a couple, that can either win it or put it out of sight. Yeah. So when you look at the penalty shootouts, that was that was Pirlo against England. Mm. You know how pivotal was mm. that? I mean, let's talk about that. You know. Joe Hart bouncing around, doing it, you know, mm. like building it, you know, like trying at his best to put yeah. them off. They've missed, you know, they're two one down, taking the first penalty. Pirlo misses this, they're potentially three one down, mm. and to do that, not only shut Joe Hart, Hart up very very quickly, but also gave his own players so much confidence to go look. Mm. Let's just calm down. I mean, they were even applauding it. I mean, did you see the reaction? They actually applauded yeah. it. I mean. <laughs> You know, you know, so to me, yeah. number three is always the pivotal penalty. I, I think it's pivotal, but I still think the pressure, the pressure penalty is yeah. still the fifth, uh, without a doubt. I mean, that is the one that will win or lose your games. Yeah, I, I don't. And think... you need to have balls of steel to to take it. Yeah. Uh, so I can understand Ronaldo taking want, a wanting to take it and being told to take it. Should, in my opinion, it should always be the captain's penalty. Mm. Yeah, mm. and I suppose they're you know a couple of inches away. Fabregas's penalty hits the post and comes out yeah. rather than goes in, and it all of a sudden mm. it is the exactly crucial yeah. penalty. Although you know, with my mm. dislike of it, <laughs> it's like it's a thing, oh, it's poetic it? justice. <laughs> <laughs> By the same token, you know, you turn that around. Say uh, the Penka hadn't gone in, Fabregas, oh, yeah, Fabregas could have missed out on his taking his penalty, mm. and you know, people would have said, why wasn't he taking the mm. earlier ones? Swings and roundabouts. Uh, but I, I think it's best to have your confidence, most confident player taking the fifth penalty every time. Okay. And I think our, our assessment of Portugal in the uh, magazine was too reliant on Ronaldo, early exit. So <laughs> I think that shows the strength of players like Moutinho and, and others who really stepped up in this tournament, I think Raul Morales as well. Um, really, I've really been impressed by them. But um, there you go. But, yet, you know, like we said, there was a period where, um, you know, We'll talk about Italy. Let's save that for the preview in the final. Um, let's look at this morning's semi. Uh, Italy, mm. Germany. Uh, we put a, a post on our Facebook page yesterday afternoon for the predictions, and it was you know probably 95% overwhelmingly Germany going through. Um, the, I think Italy were four dollars eighty-five to win in ninety minutes. Four sixty-five or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what do we make of it? I was. Utterly, utterly astonished, to be honest. Uh, and fair play to Italy. You know, leading up to this uh, tournament, people were saying, you know, there was people saying that Catanaccio hasn't been played for 30 years. And I thought that's utter complete nonsense because we've seen it in the past five years many times over. But they have completely reinvented themselves for this tournament, uh, playing 
especially today, that was open, flowing, attacking, aggressive football. None of the, uh, you know, letting the other side have possession, counter-attacking. This was taking the game by the balls and actually running at it and uh, trying to score goals. Fantastic. All essentially built around Balotelli's attacking prowess. Yeah. Uh, and but, you, know, it, it has, you know, is it Balotelli that gives them that character? Because you have got this player up front uh, that is unpredictable, that is a bit of a... A monster in the nicest sense of the word, you know, like he's so difficult to defend against, you know. I think I think there's an element of that, but you know, throughout the tournament, they have not been playing the classic Italian style. It's been you know aggressive football pretty much the whole way against England as well. You know, uh, England, f- how much possession do they have? Like yeah. 40, 35 percent or something. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I, do you think? Do you think it surprised Germany, even though they, they would have obviously watched the England game? You know, do you think they were surprised at how hard Italy came out and how open Italy were from the first, you know, first fifteen minutes? They just went for them, basically. Yeah, yeah, and I think they've done that in the in the entire tournament. I think for me, it, it proved one thing for certain: is that at that stage of the tournament, this is where teams like Italy are are the, are the strongest. And Germany, for me, Germany. Looked like a team that were beaten after they went one goal, one goal down. I mean, they just didn't have that sort of look about them that they've had in this tournament. What really surprised me in the TV coverage was seeing German fans in tears before yeah. half time. Yeah, they knew. Yeah, they knew was what like, was coming. You, you've got 45 minutes. You can't give up hope. And if yeah. the fans are crying after 45 minutes, you know that's that's a real worry. That's uh, a huge worry. Uh, and I just loved. I've just been watching some of the Italian coverage, and and uh, I just showed Kev before. There was a video of Buffon as he left the pitch, and he was absolutely furious. He brushed aside his teammates, brushed aside the mascot, punched the mascot. Well, I wouldn't say punch. Oh, it was a good punch in the face because he, he conceded a goal, and he was he was absolutely furious. And he stormed off. And that, that, that's the mentality that, that we're talking about, the Italian mentality. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the same newspaper in Italy that had King Kong cartoon has the same picture of Balotelli with his shirt off with the word Italian pride. So they've uh, backtracked very quickly on that. But yeah. um, for me, it was just the, one of the most perfect performances by the last... I mean, let's talk about Balotelli. So. I mean, you know, a, a good header for the first, but but fantastic That's approach play by Cassano, you mm. know, to, yeah. to make the space, but also mm. then just... And I don't think he's had the cross. credit that he's due. He's had a super tournament. Yeah. But front to back, it, Italy were superb. Mm. I mean, the fence of work that was going on, the sliding, precision sliding mm. tackles they were putting in, if and it wasn't, you know, the mm. desperation. And that's the bravery that Jacko talks about. Well, yeah. There's more but, to it than that. But, but it, mixed with yeah. the technical ability that it when was they need to keep it. Pure the technical ability rather than the desperation mm. that you saw from John Terry sliding in yeah. to do a block. Mm. This was precision tackle mm. Mm. Uh, to, to dis, uh, dispossess Germany. I mean, Balotelli's second goal. Um, it was one of those where the first, in real time, he has got to be offside. Yeah. It? And he had one of those against England in the first yeah, half. that's right. So there's obviously something about his movement that, because, you know, against two international teams, to suddenly find yourself like in the centre of the pitch unmarked, he must be doing something yeah. right. Well, you know? I mean, but then the, the German line was... I thought I missed... I thought I can't believe he's done that. And I Googled it and other people picked it. Neuer applauded it. Oh, did he? Afterwards. Well, he was applauding Neuer something, picked, yeah. Neuer picked the ball out of yeah. the net, rolled the ball back, 
and start having applauded Balotelli. <laughs> I, I thought he was being sarcastic. No, no I Googled it and other people picked up on it as I well. So, yeah, he, was at, he actually applauded the strike. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, to be fair, it's set up perfectly. Oh, yeah. I mean, but, God, he put his foot through it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was a super strike. So they have strike, everything. But... They have everything. And then they've got two strikers, Kasana and Balotelli, who work off each other very well. But I mean, just talking to Anthony Crea, who uh, a former soccer fitness coach, who worked in Italy, and he just tells us how Saki used to work with teams and other coaches over there. How much work they do on shape. Yeah. How yeah. much each club does on shape, uh, and you can see that in this Italian side, so well organised, but with a cutting edge. Yeah, I think Prandelli's Prandelli's work uh, has been superb. This, mm. I mean, to to take. The Italian team of old and reinvent it in the way that he has, yeah. and well, to, I mean, to know, take advantage of players of the like of Balotelli mm. and the use transformation them. of Italy and England. Yeah, since yeah. you know both nations have very poor World Cups, Italy didn't even get out of the group. I mean, yeah. I, mean I was there when they went out to Slovakia, and they were they were a shower. Yeah, you know the fans were yeah. on their back, you know, and then within and now compare the two teams. <laughs> Astonishing. Two years later. Yeah. Um, and, and it's an Italian yeah. looking after Italy, and we seem to, uh, we, we see, uh, England seems to need to have a foreign manager. Ah, uh, look, you know, you know, well, we'll see how Hodgson gets on. I mean, see, a lot of talk was about Pirlo after the England. I mean, as I put on Twitter today, I thought, all this, I mean, he's deservedly getting a lot of praise, but it's not like he's some overnight sensation. <laughs> he's won a World Cup and two Champions League. Yeah, players. is it, you know, is it he, a case of, though? He was pretty good in 2006, if you look back. Mm. I know, but I think it's a case of it's not so much... It's like a dog on dancing on two legs. It's not that he dances particularly well. It's that he can, he can actually dance. It's not that Pirlo has been particularly outstanding, but he has been outstanding given his age. And given the, the experience, yeah. Although we, did, we we did think we I did think he was older than that yeah. when we did our preview. Uh, yeah. Apologies to Anthony uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for that. There is precious few thirty-three-year-olds in the tournament at that level. Uh, they're just not getting the chance. I mean, Australia has a cut-off pretty much of thirty-two uh, these days. <laughs> well, yeah. A little uh, bit more these days. Well, yeah. yeah, up until recently. Yeah, and also, he, I mean, he's not the most high-profile player Italy have got. He, for some reason, he flies under that radar. But um, for me, player of the tournament. So far, I mean, yeah. you know, the talk after the England game was England retreated back, gave him the space, and of course he's always going to dominate and make 100 passes if, if he's given the freedom in the park. Whereas then it was like, well, let's see what Germany do, because Germany aren't going to give him that amount of space. You know, Kadira and Ozil will be up... He still ran the show. Yeah, yeah. You know, even in the last minute when it went to uh, when they, when they conceded the penalty, and then there was one moment where he got the ball on the left wing, you know, in the left wing position. I'm still at 33, getting there, and it would have been so easy to try and take it into the corner, but it's a couple of touches, played it back to the left back, you know, kept possession. Mm. And there was one ball that he played. I don't know if you saw was it. Was that the, the look? The, the no look. Yeah. yeah. The cushion pass yeah. diagonal. It congested midfield. One touch, left foot. No, looking that way, looking left. Cushion pass with the right, with his left foot at a right angle. It was so good that I don't know who the yeah. player was. Completely misread it and put his hands <laughs> up. He was in acres of space, but uh. just like went. I don't even think you can do that. <laughs> but where? I mean, where does that come? Where does Pilo's vision come from? It comes from playing in the street every day, every day, every day, playing football. Oh, it's not necessarily in the street. It comes from it comes from playing games and for teams and for coaches that appreciate that. 
you know. It's 33 years of experience. Yeah. yeah that's it. And it's angles, it's I, not panicking, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, I think that's that one of the, You've got to have that technical base. I think that's one that. of the strengths of the Italian side, though, is it's this blend of experience and new, young, uh, exciting talent. Yeah. And also, it's interesting that uh, a few years ago we actually signed a, a memorandum of agreement with the Italian FA to have a, you know a technical kind of uh, relationship, and nothing, What's with that? nothing, bubkas, yeah. niente. There's been quite a few of those, haven't there, over I think the that years? Might have been them for another like the, different the reason. Turkish Anzac Day. Turkish clash, yeah, yeah that, that just uh, disappeared. I think it's a good um, meteor off, but I mean the, the player as well for me that often doesn't get the plaudits, but is absolutely essential to this team is De Rossi. Mm-hmm. The amount of work he gets through, and he is exactly the sort of player that allows you to play a Pirlo, because he almost does the work of two men that allows Pirlo to, you know, to, to glide around and find the space and probe and whatever. Because he also knows that if he's caught forward, De Rossi generally he's is there the covering. Yep. Um, and his work rate and the, the tackles that he makes, like you're talking about those, you know, perfectly timed tackles. And the fact that, you know, he started the tournament playing in a, as a, a sweep in a back three. Yeah. You know, shows his flexibility. Mm. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, uh, we saw, uh, again, a headed goal this morning. 21 headed goals out of 72. That's pretty in good. In the tournament. Any uh, thoughts on that? I've, I've read a couple of... I mean, personally, I think the ball has had a lot to do with it because the players <laughs> actually, from crosses and set pieces, can control it, know where it's going to go. It's funny, though, because, you know... Overall, I would say this has been the best tournament I've seen in a long, long time. Better than most the uh, World Cups in recent memory, I think. Uh, and I never saw the 2008 Euros, but previous ones uh, didn't compare to this. And I'd say the technical level has been up on virtually every tournament I've watched. Yet, headed goals suggest, you know, old school, into the mixer. Oh, no, I don't think so. No, I'm a good I mean, header. Like this morning's headed goal, like Alonso's oh, headed goal. I'm not, I'm, not saying, like, I'm not saying it is, but yeah. you would think at a glance, looking at the stats, you would yeah, say yeah. old school, mixer, not, into yeah. the mixer, throw it in yeah, and exactly, see what happens. Yeah. But, you know, technically it's been played to the feet. I mean, almost look, all the look time at the quality the service this morning for the first goal. Right. I mean, that was inch perfect. Yeah. Inch between the between the defender and the goalkeeper, inch perfect. Oh, line. some of the passing. So overall, technically, it's top been teams very good. Has been superb, and it has been a great tournament. It has been. And again, a comeback one of the, the best. Yeah, yeah. You know, so all it, the talk I, the Jabalana is like we can't control it. We don't. You know, we go to make a. Yeah, we go across the ball and put the spin on it that we normally do, and it's flying over the crossbar. I never ever understood why they would introduce completely different balls for you know the showpiece tournament. Balls that players, apart from the Germans, had never been able to use before. Just one, of the other, um, one of the other uh, things that I've been reading about was, was people are pointing to the sideline officials behind the goal, as in, in that because their very presence is making defenders think twice about grappling and in the box, no. and that's mm. allowing players more freedom yeah. to actually get headers on because there's less blocking, there's less checking. Certainly, the refs have been a lot tighter on. Uh, yeah. And I and I think the refereeing has been of a pretty high standard. I think generally speaking, it's been a it's been a good tournament for them too. There's been a couple of shockers off the top of my head. Uh, wow, there'll always be a couple yeah. of shockers, yeah. but I think overall, I think they've, overall, they've got it pretty right. The refs have not been getting in the way of the yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. The, one, exactly. the one thing that I've liked has been a. Uh, has been the true, you know, what I think is the true interpretation of the of the um, play on rule or the advantage rule, and yeah. that they've actually let the play and not been scared, even if it's been 
a few seconds after to come yeah. back and give the free kick again. Like apart, there was one apart, this morning. Apart from Portugal, Spain, Nani was broken. Yeah. was straight yeah, through yeah, the yeah, goal yeah, and it got yeah. pulled back. And he was, yeah, not happy about that. But generally speaking, yeah, I think you know, unlike the A League, there's been no last minute match uh, match winning penalties given out of the blue. Uh, it's it's mm. been the teams that have won it on their own merits. Uh, in every single game, I think, without any help from a referee, and pro- probably okay. probably only the, the John Terry, uh, the goal line clearance. That was probably the only real mistake I think we've seen. And yeah. hope, you um, know, hopefully, in it's terms of the impetus to of prove things, behind. I think it's worked great. Uh, well, hopefully, it'll be the impetus that uh, you know we'll get proper technology mm. to decide these things yeah. in the future. All right, that's it for an extended part one. We'll be back in part two to uh, specifically preview the final and and how we see that going. Obviously, we now know that that is uh, Spain versus Italy at 4.45 a.m. on Monday morning, our time, which will be the last uh, instalment of Eurolag for us. All right, join us after the break. The new issue of 442 is on sale now. We get Australian legends Harry Kuehl and Mark Schwarzer to open up on a range of issues in an interview exclusive. With over a 1,000 top-flight games and 150 Socceroos caps between them, when they talk, you listen. Plus, we catch up with Swedish enigma Zlatan Ibrahimovic and go one-on-one with Fabrizio Ravinelli. Elsewhere, hear about the team who turned down a 12-year-old Lionel Messi. Oops. If it's in the game, it's in 442. On sale now at Newsagent and the App Store. Welcome back to the 442 Insider Euro 2012 Special, brought to you in association with Betfair, where better betters bet. Hello, welcome back to part two of this uh, Euro 2012 Special Edition. So we are now going to preview the final. Uh, Spain versus Italy, Monday morning our time, 4.45am, we will be at uh, Star Casino's 24-7 sports bar for, uh, for the last of our, uh, mm. our live site specials. Into Kev, that bar us? fridge once and for all. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's been really popular. Um, this morning over 1,200 fans were there, mainly Italian. Uh, it's just a great place to go, I think, just to see big screens and giveaways with Bozza doing the halftime analysis and footballs and beer giveaways so uh, do join us it'll be great alright so final Spain versus Italy um, let's look at uh, these are Betfair's fixed odds uh, as we speak uh, Spain are $2.05 um, Italy $3.80 and the draw $3.20 um, to win the tournament I, obviously they're 90 minute odds that's to win in 90 minutes uh, to win the tournament, uh, Spain are a dollar fifty, and Italy two dollars forty-four. Three dollars eighty is pretty generous, I would say, for, for Italy. The, for Italy, yeah, I fancy them. Yeah, I have to say, after today's performance, <clears throat> I can see them taking Spain, and I'm not an Italy fan by no, any. I, I mean, what what makes you say that? How, how <clears throat> do you think that, from what you've seen, um, you? you you know what we're going to get with Spain. I think, you know, it was almost like Del Bosque threw on a striker in the last game and it didn't work. I was surprised at which striker he chose in the Greedo. Yep. I would have thought Lorente would have mm. been higher in the pecking and order how, than him. And how frustrated must he be feeling? Yeah, I know. I mean, I know. one of the best strikers coming through the Spanish system and he is, has but, he played? No, barely, barely not, played. A minute, yeah. not a minute on the pitch. But then he, you know, Del Bosque will then look at that and say, well, as soon as we brought Fabregas on, we looked a better side and we were the better side in, in extra time and ultimately we ended up winning the game and 
So you, you'd sort of think that the, the, the smart money would be on him starting with Fabregas in this sort of false nine. Do they look at that also and say, that, well, that may be a way of countering Pirlo's effect on the game because we're actually going to have six midfielders on the pitch? I, I, th- I think, you know, <laughs> full credit to Del Bosque. I mean, he, he's basically come in and ripped up, you know, European football uh, approaches and tactics. Uh, and is doing very much his own thing. And it's kind of a young man's mentality, the way he's done it. But he, he's not a young man himself. So, like I say, full credit to him for such forward thinking for a man of his age. But I still don't like it. I still think you need some focus to your attack uh, to occupy the defence, apart from anything else, to create space for somebody for the midfield well, when you've got so much but their, their view would be by not having a focal point of the attack the central defenders haven't got a clue where they're supposed to be and with the speed that Spain can move the ball between Silva Iniesta Fabregas Hernandez that they create that space very, for the very reason because the defence doesn't have a point, focal point of the attack to mark yeah, and they're facing the defenders rather than having your back to the defenders when you when you're attacking them. That's their. That's their granted, thing. but ostensibly you've still got your four defenders and a defensive midfielder facing against six midfielders, three or four of which are potential goal scorers, and two are you know more midfielders than anything else. So you're still outnumbered. Uh, your, your defense still outnumbers the the attack. Uh, and Spain have been lacking that penetration. You know, they have been controlling the game. They have been holding on the ball in midfield. But they've really been getting into, despite your 49 shots on target, which I know you're reaching for. <laughs> no, I was just looking at the passes, actually. I mean, these are the actuals. This is from the UEFA site. Uh, Spain have attempted 4,222 passes and completed 80% of them for 3,386 completed. The nearest to them is Germany with 3,300 attempted passes. So they've, they've basically attempted 30% more passes than anyone else. They've completed 30% more passes than anyone else. They've averaged 60% ball possession. So they've had, this is the astonishing stat for me. They've had the ball for 201 minutes okay. in the games. The nearest to them was Germany with 142. Right, but I would love to see a um, heat map off that possession and those passes because I will guarantee but if you're in front, they're but, but all if, within if you're in front, five metres of the centre. So if you're one nil up, it doesn't matter. If you have the ball for two, you know for 60% of the, the game but, in every game you play, but that brings us back to you know, the, the score that goals. brings us back to the Italian form of you know. Just prodding him. Just prodding oh, yeah. No, I, I don't like you, you're it. You're like, like, like the Italian midfield, just yeah. prodding this. So, okay, so, it, so how are Italy going to win the game? Do you think Italy are Expansive, win aggressive football, uh, which is what they played today. They, they took the ball, they ran with it, they pushed it forward, they actually ag- attacked the opposition. They never gave them a chance to, to sit back. Uh, and uh, they didn't hold on to it just for the sake of holding on to it. Every time they had the ball, they were trying to do something with it. Uh, Spain hold on to the ball and don't necessarily try and do something with it. They're not even probing for space. They are just holding the ball and denying the opposition 
possession. And that, that's where they're going wrong, in my opinion. They need to push forward more often. They have all that ball time, and they don't progress beyond 5 metres, 10 metres of the centre circle too many times. Apart from the 49. Apart from the, Apart from yeah. the 49 <laughs> attempts. I think, I think you've you got, uh, you got to look at the opening game of the, of the group stage between these two teams to get a few clues on, 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 on how they'll be looking at this, this final. Because for me, for a start, that was the best game of the tournament, yeah. maybe before this morning's game. I, I think the key for Italy w- will be not to change too much, but to look to try and play as many balls as wide as possible and get in behind them, crosses in, Balotelli. I think that's going to be one of the keys for me. Um, I think the Italians will be on such a high that I've got them as my slight favourites for this game. And I think, from a tactical point of view, that would be one thing I'd be looking at, for sure. And I think, I think Italy will, will watch the Portugal-Spain semi very closely and think, you know, Portugal put Spain under an awful lot of pressure for a period. Spain had a bit of a wobble mm. with, let's be honest, an average centre-forward. You know, and... Uh, Costiga was pretty ineffectual. Mm. Almeida was awful against, uh, you know. So you sort of think that, um, you know, Balotelli is going to they wage Balotelli to cause PK and Ramos some problems mm. that they haven't had yet, you know. And if they can keep that pressure up, mm. I think we've talked about him. I think one of the key players is going to be De Rossi. He's going to have a massive amount of work to do, and it's whether he can do that for the full 90 minutes I mean he's often been substituted towards mm. the end it's how long he can keep that pressure up mm. it's um, yeah I sense it might go into extra time as well this one I just got a feeling um, but uh, yeah look I'm, I'm, I'm backing Italy for this one I think they'll, they'll break the Spanish if Italy can keep up the same style run. as they played today and don't retreat uh, into you know the more classical Italian style I can see them winning uh, against Spain to be honest I mean, what a, what also Buffon as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, although he, he started off uncharacteristically wobbly this morning, I thought he had a couple mm. of spills early yeah. on. Mm. Um, but you know, you you probably got the two best keepers in the tournament. Mm. Again, no surprise that you know. I think often underrated how important in a tournament having a safe, reliable keeper that yeah. doesn't make any howlers and a yeah. really big big personality as Both well. Both captains. Yeah. So we'll see a keeper lift the trophy. Yeah. True. Um, uh, yeah, I think uh, Italy might just be the ones for this one. Yeah. All right, let's look at the other way. Why is Spain going to win this? Okay. <laughs> we'll Spain have got quality from front to back. Uh, well, front to midfield anyway. No, midfield to back. Um, there's no denying that. They have the confidence. They've got the experience. But I, I still hesitate to see them... Italy have got such strong defence at the moment. Uh, you know, it's quality defence. Gallini, all of them are, you know, just but working how, as how a unit. That, as, how, I mean, you're the coach in the room, Jack. I mean, how are you, as a defensive unit, how do you cope with essentially not having a strike at the mark? <laughs> so what happens next? Yeah, that's, do that's, you the, drop, hard, that's the hard question. Yeah, do you, know, you like, drop a central defence? Fabregas defense? drops into midfield... Does, does anyone from the back follow him, him in which yeah. case that then creates a space behind for someone else yeah. to run into you know? which I think Del Bosque will be sort of second guessing Prandelli on this one and what, what it does is when you know when you see Fabregas playing that role it, you inevitably see Andres Iniesta having much more of an impact going forward because he has a much more licence to actually mm. run past Fabregas and often he's the he ends up being the furthest forward player mm. um, I, th- I think I think Spain can win this game because I do think Italy 
have they've led shots on target but they're nowhere near the high scorers. They do need a lot of chances. They should have buried that game. Hmm. Second half, they, they, oh, they, yeah. you know, there was three or four hmm. clear-cut chances that they didn't finish. And I think against Spain, I don't think they're going to get as much of the ball as they got this morning. Well, I think that, the stats will tell you that. Or against England. And I think the question is, when they do get the possession, can they make it count? You know, that, that, that will be the question for me. Yeah. So, who? I mean, I think... Who, who plays to their strengths better on the day will probably end up winning this one. But I just sense it's, it, could, it could be the... <coughs> we should also say what an amazing achievement for Spain. World Cup winners, Euro winners, and in well, another no final. Done it, so they're on the brink yeah. of history. I mean, the golden boot is still up for grabs. Um, surprisingly, in such a good tournament, the, the, the golden boot is on three at the moment, and it's shared by... Zagoyev, Russia still, Mandzukic, Croatia, um, who's just signed for Bayern Munich overnight. I think. No, I missed that. Uh, Gomez, Germany. Uh, Mara Balotelli is on three now, so has the chance to, mm. uh, to win it. Cristiano Ronaldo is on three. Um, and then Torres and Fabregas are on two. I think that... So the fact that you can still get odds on Italians and... Uh, and Spanish players that haven't scored in the tournament yet. <laughs> you can seem to get a hat trick. Yeah. So the odds are uh, Balotelli, not surprisingly, is now uh, favourite, $2.25 because he's obviously level and, and he's playing in the final and, and you would imagine will start. Um, but then you can still get 7-1 to one on Ronaldo, Mandzukic, Gomez, Zagoyev. Um, Torres, 10-1. to one. Fabregas, uh, 12s. Xavi Alonso, 26. Cassano, 51. Di Natale, 51. And then we got 101. Any, any other Spanish or uh, or Italian player? I actually like Fabregas at 12 to 1. That's pretty good odds. Because he only needs two. Yeah. If he gets two in the final. I like that a lot. Uh, I mean, look at some of the other odds. This is all on Betfair. Uh, some of the more popular ones. Uh, method of victory. We've got Spain in 90 minutes. We said uh, $2.10. Spain in extra time, $11.50. Spain on penalties, $11.50. So they're not really backing it to go past mm. the 90 minutes at the moment. Mm. I'm surprised by that, actually. Yeah. Uh, Italy with 90 minutes, $4.10. Italy in extra time, 15 See, now, because what I did for the Spain-Portugal game was I backed both teams to win on penalties, so either team, because they were both 11 or 12 to 1. Right. So if you backed both teams to win in extra time... You're still effectively getting six, seven to one on that. Yeah. Uh, over or under two and a half goals? What do you reckon? Two and a half goals in the ninety minutes. Those two keepers. Nah. I can't see too much. Nah. Uh, two goals in it, I reckon. Maximum. All right. Under two and a half goals, he's paying a dollar fifty. Over two and a half, is paying two dollars ninety-six. Um, under one and a half goals. So only one goal in it is paying two dollars fifty-two over one and a half goals a dollar sixty-two. Um, correct score, come on, boys. Next on the line, give me your correct score. Ninety minutes, and I'll tell you what the odds are. Nil nil. Nil nil to ninety minutes. Okay. I'll go for one one actually. Okay, one one. So nil nil, Ada. That's paying seven bucks on Betfair at the moment. You can also lay that so bet against nil nil at seven dollars twenty. So. Mm. Um, 1-1, one, one, Kev, $7.60. 1-1. What else we got? What about extra time? Any... Half-time, full-time. 
So you were both going draw, so draw, draw is $4.90. Italy then draw. Italy then draw is 18 bucks. Really? Yeah. No, that's worth it. Spain mm. then draw is 18 bucks. Gosh. Yeah, so some good value yeah, there. That's, that's good, all I know. Yeah. Betfair.com.au, get on there. Obviously, uh, Mastermind, if you are gambling on a football, please do it responsibly. Mm. Just like us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, just I want to ask you, where to now for Germany? Oh, mate, I don't think there's an awful lot wrong. I think, you know, they're the youngest team at the tournament. Um, they'll benefit from this experience, two semi-finals, you know. Um, Maybe four years from now? Maybe they Two be. years. Two years. Yeah. Brazil. In Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, sure. I don't think there's an awful lot wrong. I mean, you know, we didn't talk about it when we were, t- when we were talking about the semi-final, mm. but, you know, the... I saw, did you see Gary Lineker's tweet? He said, I've just asked Jürgen Klinsmann if there's a, a German word for bogey team. He said, there is, and I've suggested that they get one. <laughs> this is Italy's eighth win yeah. over Germany in competitive yeah. finals tournaments. So I think it's, you know, there's, we talk about England's mental sort of state, but there's, there's, obviously even the better teams, Germany, are not, uh, oh, look, not immune to it. And they looked... For- they looked... Like, just so bereft of confidence for a German side. They did eventually, but to be honest, you know, the fact that Italy won won convincingly in the end uh, overshadowed the fact that Germany had a lot of opportunities in the first half. Uh, they could have taken it quite easily. You know, yeah. uh, there was a bit of woodwork, few close misses, near misses. If those had, been, those had gone in, then we would have been looking at a completely different game uh, and possibly a different result. Uh, a very different result, rather. Well, you saw even that, even with Germany getting that penalty with a minute and a half to go, you saw a little bit of a wobble from Italy, and you yeah. sort of thought if that would have come ten minutes from time, mm. yeah, you know, it would have been a have... whole different game. Yeah. yeah, if Germany had scored first, as they had the chance to do several times in the first half, could have but been looking lots of at uh, tournaments. Oh, I absolutely, just think that... absolutely. But I, I, from that, I, I, I'm saying you know Germany have got nothing to worry about. Uh, you know, I think they're a very, very good team. I'm disappointed to see them go. Ginger nuts, we'd have no need for bakers. (laughs) All right, on that, we will uh, take a short break, then we'll be back just to do a little uh, wrap-up of what's been happening on the local scene in the last sort of week. Um, In the week that has seen the Western Sydney Wanderers christened with some colours. Join us after the break. The new issue of 442 is on sale now. We get Australian legends Harry Kuehl and Mark Schwarzer to open up on a range of issues in an interview exclusive. With over a 1,000 top-flight games and 150 Socceroos caps between them, when they talk, you listen. Plus, we catch up with Swedish enigma Zlatan Ibrahimovic and go one-on-one with Fabrizio Ravinelli. Elsewhere, hear about the team who turned down a 12-year-old Lionel Messi. Oops. <laughs> if it's in the game, it's in 442. On sale now at NewsAgent and the App Store. Welcome back to the 442 Insider Euro 2012 Special, brought to you in association with Betfair, where better betters bet. Hello, welcome back to the final part of this week's uh, 442 Insider Euro 2012 Special, breaking from the... uh, from the shackles of Euro 2012, we're just going to have a quick roundup of the local action. Um, in a week that has seen Western Sydney officially born as Western Sydney Wanderers, one of the worst kept secrets, uh, with a nice black, red and white kit, uh, black and red hoops uh, made by Nike. Good to see Nike make their uh, entrance into the A-League. Um, that's what do we think. Old school logo. Oh, I think lots of... kit, hoops... 
Lots of ticks there, lots yeah. of ticks. Um, the only thing that worried me is that their announcement was that they'll only be playing some of their home games at Parramatta Stadium, which leaves the door open to them either touring around the West, which I hope they won't do, or using ANZ Stadium for possibly just the derbies. Yeah. Um, but either way, ANZ's a hellhole for football. It shouldn't be allowed. Uh, I'd like to see Parramatta being the home. But other than that, huge win for... Uh, the West. Love the kit, love the logo. Uh, much, much better than I was expecting from, on both counts. Uh, and just need to see what kind of team they put together. Right, they've confirmed um, their coaching lineup. So, obviously, joining Tony Popovich is uh, Ante Milicic, uh, ex Joey's coach Ron Corey's goalkeeping coach, and uh, South Coast Wolves head coach Trevor Morgan is youth league coach. Mm. I know. Mm. Yeah, it's, on that? yeah no, it's, a, it's a strong coaching lineup. Um, uh, my understanding is they've, they've signed around about nine or ten players. So the three that were on show the other day, Tarek, Elric, the uh, player from the State League, and Aaron Moy, which we broke on au.442.com. Um, and the other players uh, are Labi Haliti from Newcastle, uh, Beecham, Cole, Bridge from Sydney FC, and uh, potentially Marcos Flores as well. Are they in the market for Marcos? Well, no, I'm just saying potentially he could be one of their high-profile oh, right. signings. He's a free agent, of course. But wouldn't he be demanding marquee-type wages and they've said they're not going to pay that sort of money? Well, I mean, you could, still, you could still get him for something like 300000 a year, so if he's worth it, and he's from a marketing point of view, you'd probably say you know, he is worth it to any club. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Popper plays as a, a senior coach. It's his first job as a senior coach. He's been an assistant since he joined Sydney FC, I think, in 2008 as an assistant. So yeah, I you know, echo Kev's sentiments. I think it's been a great launch. Love the logo. Reminds me a little bit of Charlton Athletic, a little bit. But um, I thought it was very Bundesliga actually. Yeah, but uh, Dortmund. Yeah, yeah, it was just a, a and uh, Bayern Munich as well. Yeah, the BVB. Hearts about it as well. Just that little. That uh, style. I, I thought it was it was. Yeah, I think it's actually the best logo in the league, to be honest. I love it. I really do. It's, uh, well, it's kind of logos can win leagues. Yeah, they're on yeah, top, aren't they? Absolutely. But, um, uh, and I love the, the kit as well, the, the black and red flamingo-style hoops. Uh, yeah. Very good. Yeah. And great to have Nike on board. Well, one yeah. player that won't be joining them is uh, Scott Chipperfield. There's been mm. a bit of uh, Twitter talk from Scott himself. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> himself open for uh, negotiations, but he's now announced that he will... Uh, he will join an amateur club in Switzerland and, and sort of finish, won't finish his career in Australia. He's actually officially signed for family up. reasons. He's going to be coach, coaching them next year as well. Mm. Uh, right. Not this year, but next year. Okay. He's going to take over as coach. It's my understanding that he, he was wanting about 400000 a year, so he was uh, that didn't work out. So, yeah, uh, um, yeah uh, a loss for the A-League not having chippers back, but um, uh, can't wait for the Sydney Derby. I think round three. Well, Sydney, Sydney released their membership packages yesterday, and uh, obviously, you know, they've now got some competition in the manor, uh, and have come to the table with uh, free travel for members. Eight which, years too yeah, late. Yeah, true. Uh, so, you know, finally, it's there, but you know, hopefully, mm. it's another barrier to uh, to attendance <coughs> taken away. It is. People. I mean, it's a really, really good thing to do, uh, without any doubt whatsoever but it should have been done so much longer ago and it's a shame that's taken the Western Sydney Wanderers to appear before they actually get off their arse I mean it just kind of goes to show how much Sydney FC have been taking the punches for granted I think up to now uh, you know as soon as they get a rival they can pull something like this out mm. of their arse whereas they really should have been doing this years ago mm. genuinely yeah. I mean I, th I think that's generally 
I think everyone has agreed that after season two that they just blew that opportunity to become the club in, in Sydney. Um, season two was a disaster and they've never really recovered. Yeah. yeah. Personally, I won't be happy until there's an air-conditioned sedan chair pulled up outside my house and walked to the stadium. You don't get one yeah. of those. <laughs> You're such a Sydney sider, Jacko. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Melbourne Heart bolstered their defensive stock, signing Liberian international Patrick Gerhardt. And the puns begin. Pun frenzy. <laughs> Got a whole year ahead of us of the Hart, Gerhardt puns. Awesome. I think they just signed them on the basis of that name. The interesting thing from Hart, though, is Marco Bresciano, Mark Bresciano, so training, training with him. To graft in their kit. And yes, driving a Hyundai while he's in Australia. Yeah, I saw that. So. Which, you know, it's kind of adding up. Love to see Bresch back in the mm. It would be good. Brilliant. We, might, be good. We, might, we might have some news on, on the type of deal that he's signing um, from what I'm hearing, but I can't say too much right now. Is, 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 is he coming to the... Because he's got a year left on the deal that he's on. Mm. But there was talk that that mm. might not be extended. Mm. It might not be... Uh, okay, well, what's nice. this okay. space? Ado is the man with his finger on the pulse. Uh, Even if he won't tell us. Even at 4.45am, I'm sure that's the finger on the pulse. Uh, West, uh, Westfield Matildas also been in action. Yeah. Uh, two games against uh, the Kiwis. Uh, saw a win and a draw down mm. in Wollongong. Good to see Walsh. Well, scored two in the, in the Wednesday game. Uh, almost 4,000 on the Sunday for that game. And Brilliant. Um, with a lot of girls already playing, they, they didn't uh, reschedule the games for the for the the local players, so they would have got an even bigger crowd. And great to see Wollongong really is the home of the Matildas, I, I think. Um, real strong uh, base for, for fans and also for players. It wasn't our, our first full-strength Matilda side either, no, was it? No, no, it wasn't at all. No, it was a home base. Playing overseas, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Kaya Simon's tearing it up in the mix, like yeah. leading scorer by, yeah. a, by a fair way. And they're playing Japan in a few weeks' time, so we'll have our full-strength team there in Tokyo for that game. Should be great. Test. Yeah. So Ada talked to us uh, about uh, Mr. Federici. He was in the mm. office last week. He was. up with him. Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, he's, had, he's had an absolutely outstanding season for Reading. Uh, going back into the Premier League, he's already actually played two games in the Premier League, but this is his first season as a Premier League keeper for Reading. And first choice, clear Absolutely, first choice. yeah. Championship goalkeeper of the year. Um, championship player of the month in February for five, five clean sheets. 20 clean sheets. Um, I think they only conceded 41 from memory. Um, and it's great to see Fedders at 27 reaping the rewards of uh, the last five or six years. He's really done it tough. Um, Fedders will be part of our EPL issue coming up where we speak to all the EPL Aussies and, of course, a, a big EPL preview coming up. All right, well, let's stay with us. Uh, if you are in Sydney this weekend, you'll be able to come down and see the 4-4-2 All-Stars <laughs> in action at the Tiger Street Soccer. See us hope, hopelessly outclassed by professional street footballers and state league players. If you have an oxygen tent, bring it along. We yeah, need it's it. at the overseas passenger terminal outside Cruise Bar at Circular Quay. The view will be the best thing about our performances. So, uh, <laughs> but Tiger Beer will be on hand with plenty of alcohol to numb the pain. Uh, DJs, street Street freestylers, samba dancers, Brazilian yeah. dramas should be a cracking that day. So, do we have to do that as well, or we, 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 we just play? Oh, that's where we come into our own, yes. is in the samba dancing after <laughs> a few tiger beers. But, um, also, our new yeah. issue is on sale next Wednesday. Ado, we, uh, we caught up with uh, Harry and Mark Schwartz in what turned out to be a, a very um, 
a significant interview with Harry because at the time, yeah. you know, we we all assumed that he was going to be coming back, but as yeah. it's turned out, it's his last interview in Australia. Yeah, so. he he flew off a few hours after we spoke to him and Schwartzy, and we've really just sat down and had a good old conversation with them, and they've just revealed a lot about their their careers, and it was great just to sit down with them and for them just to talk to each other as well as us. So um, yeah, it's um, Schwartz and Kuehl on the cover out next Wednesday. Have a look at it. It'll be uh, it'll be pretty interesting. I Sixteen think. pages, fantastic photos of the boys together, uh, and a real sort of rare opportunity to uh, get some insight into what it takes to uh, to play at the top level for mm. as long as these guys have. And, and Harry even took the mic. He did. Yeah, he took yeah. The mic. <laughs> Man of many talents. Not to sing. I must say, he was uh, asking Schwartzy a couple of questions of his own, mm. which was a very interesting discussion. So that's on sale next week. Until mm. uh, then, we will be back soon. I'm not going to put a date on it yet. We'll see how we go with our uh, with a weekly podcast starting up again. But I think after the Euros, we deserve a couple of weeks <laughs> just to uh, just a few lie-ins. But uh, rest assured, we'll be back soon. You can follow us all on Twitter though, and uh, and on the website, of course, au.442.com. So uh, if you want to catch up with us and have a yarn, then uh, do that on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon, and may the best team win the Euros on Monday. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.